That's called the Veda motivation. And we are all still alive this week. Last week we started talking about impermanence and death. And since that time, many, many people have died. Many from the coronavirus, many from accidents, other illnesses. But somehow it hasn't been our turn yet. So we still have this opportunity to hear the teachings and put them into practice. But we don't know next week or the week after that if we'll be here or not. Because on the day people die, they never think they're going to die that day. Even if they know they're terminally ill, it'll always be one or two days later, not today. And yet, one day it is today. And then this life is gone. Our opportunity for practice is gone. We're thrown into the bardo. And then according to what karma ripens, as we're dying, into a new life. And it all happens, boom, boom, boom. It's not like we can stop and say somewhere along the line, well, let's slow this process down. There's some things I want to do first. It's not like that. So it's important to check how prepared we are to die. And to check what kind of motivation are we going to die with? What kind of thoughts are we cultivating all day long? Because those will be the ones that we're likely to die with. So it really behooves us to cultivate the bodhicitta, make that something very familiar to our mind. So that hopefully we'll remember it at the time of death. So let's generate now in preparation for that time.
So it seems like one difficulty all of us have in our practice is laziness. Yeah. It's like, I love the Dharma. I want to practice the Dharma. But right now, I need to eat something. Yeah. And I need to have my tea and cookies. And then I need to take a walk. And then there's people I want to talk to who are wanting to talk to me. And I'm supposed to be compassionate, so I better call them and chit-chat for a while. And then there's all these projects I want to do. This project, that project. Yeah. Make a, a, a huge letter home that will fill the wall. Make a a pop song all about Dharma for the young people. I want to hold your mala. (laughs) Yeah, so we're always busy with things, and then somehow. Really working on the mind uh, doesn't always happen the way it should. So this is uh, why we meditate on death, because death wakes us up to the fact that we don't have a lot of time, and that if we don't practice, we're going to be in pretty difficult straits at the time of death, you know, when death comes. We can't just, you know, press the pause button or say, excuse me, Lord of Death, uh, we don't have this on, we don't have you on the schedule today. Yeah, come back in 50 million eons. Yeah, or give me a warning. Yeah, give me a warning at least. I don't want to die in an accident. But it's not the way it works. So my superstitious mind says, I can, I think of every possible way I can die. And if I think of that, then it won't happen that way. And then CV-19 came along. And I realized, you know, I had never thought of dying in a pandemic. You know, I thought of a heart attack, stroke, cancer, kidney failure, you know, those were all in my book. But dying from a pandemic on a ventilator, that wasn't in my book. No. And it wasn't in, you know, today I didn't check, but it's yesterday it was, what, 71,000 or 72,000 Americans? Uh, and more today, at least 2,000 more. You know, those people hadn't planned on it either. So, and then, even while the pandemic is going on, people are dying from all sorts of other things. Yeah, when I heard my friend Frank died, you know, I thought, oh, did he die from the pandemic? No. He died from cancer. 
Yeah. And we're getting a lot of requests. Have you noticed? Seems like this month a lot of requests for prayers. And uh, not all of them are about the coronavirus. They're about all sorts of different things. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, um, a smorgasbord of ways to die, but we don't get to pick which one. It comes to us. Okay, so last week we started talking about the, um, the nine-point death meditation and that there's three main points, each of which has three sub-points, and each of the main points has a conclusion that we're supposed to reach by doing the uh, by doing the three meditating on the three points. Okay, so three main points. First one, death is definite. Second, yeah, the time of death is unset, uncertain, and third. Oh, yeah, only the Dharma helps at the time of death. Okay, so we're going to start on the first of the those main points, that death is uh, definite. So this is on page 208. Yeah, about a quarter of the page down. So the three sub-points that help us understand the certainty of our death are... First, everyone who is born dies. Yeah, we know that, but we don't know it. Yeah, we know that, but have you ever uh, sat down and thought about what you're gonna, what your body's gonna look like when you're dead, or have you ever imagined the people that you love? as uh, when there's just the corpse left. Have you ever thought about the death of your dear ones? Yeah. Or do we just say, yeah, yeah, everybody's going to die, what's next? But actually sitting and thinking about their death and how are you going to feel? How are you going to respond? Are you really prepared for it? If we're not prepared for the death of somebody we care for, then we're going to be even less prepared for our own death, aren't we? Okay. So everybody who's born dies. Death is a natural uh, result of birth. I did a, uh, a hospice course once, and they emphasized that, you know, they brought out the point that for... Many people, uh, depends on their religious affiliation, death is a failure. Yeah, if they die, they failed. Or the divinity has failed them. Uh So people have all this kind of thing. You know, not that death is a natural thing, but death is unnatural. And it marks a failure. So it's interesting to check in in our mind. 
to really, really look at death as a natural uh, result of birth. Whenever a baby is born, when babies are born, we're all so happy. Oh, look at that cute little thing. You know, there's Prince Archie. Isn't he adorable? Yeah. Um, Well, he looks like all the other babies. But, um, you know, do we think, oh, we're celebrating birth, but, you know, he's now in the process of aging and going towards death. And that's what naturally happens for anybody who's born. Yeah, this is samsara. So death is common to all beings. It's a great equalizing factor for no one can avoid it. Okay? So, you know, it is an equalizing factor. How, how to, to what extent we are exposed to things that may kill us. That may differ according to wealth and social status and occupation and so on. But the fact that we all are going to die, nobody can avoid that one. Okay. So wealth, fame, intelligence, love, or power, none of these can prevent death. Even uh, holy beings and great leaders die. You think of all the great religious leaders, yeah? Uh, In Buddhism, we think of the different panditas, the different great meditators and siddhas. You know, they've all died. You know, the ones that aren't still alive right now. So, uh, you know, there's, there's no way to escape it at all. And that's, yeah, it's really just uh, part of life. Then the second point there, so when you're meditating on that, you know, really think of your own death and what that's going to look like. Think of the death of the people that you care about. Yeah. How are you going to react when they die? Are you going to go hysterical? Are you going to beat your breast? Are you going to feel regret because there's things that you haven't told them that you always wanted to told them, tell them? Are you going to feel relief? You know, what, are, are you, you know, really think about it. And then think about your own death. Okay, then the second point, when the time of death arrives, our lifespan cannot be extended. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we uh, may run up, we may die because our, uh, our natural karmic lifespan has, uh, you know, been uh, exhausted, or because our merit has been, been exhausted, or because there was a ripening of uh, an untimely, quite powerful negative karma. So some of those, I mean, the the karmic lifespan, we can't change that. But, uh, you know, if we're running short of merit, that maybe if we do some more practices and so on, we can extend our life a little bit, but not forever. 
And if there's some uh, untimely karma, very heavy negative karma in our mind, we can try and do purification so that it won't ripen and try not to let our mind get filled with uh, uh, afflictions or do dangerous things that would, you know, stimulate the ripening of that karma. But, you know, we can't avoid that. Okay? So our lifespan cannot be extended at the time of death. There's nowhere to go to avoid death. Okay? Beings in every realm of cyclic existence die. So you can't go to the moon to avoid death. You can't go to the Bahamas to, to avoid death. Yeah. You can't go to, I don't know, wherever you want to think of, because people die wherever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just think of all these people who are on the cruises when the, uh, when the virus started circulating. You know, they went on this cruise to have a good time, will be far away from everything that can possibly kill us, except the coronavirus. Okay, moving to another place, finding another doctor, and changing our medicine may prolong our life for a while, but cannot prevent death. Okay, then the third point, uh, we will die even if we have not had the time to practice the Dharma. So as each moment passes, we approach the end of our life, and the time available for Dharma practice is brief and consumed with other activities. Isn't it? We're, we're always, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do this practice, I'll learn this, whatever, Manana in la manana, you know? Yeah. But we never get around to it. Okay? So when we're young, we go to school and play. In our adult years, we have a family and work. And in our senior years, we spend time caring for our health and perfecting the practice of complaining about our bad health. Yeah. Have you noticed that with some of the aging people you know? Yeah. They, they get together for lunch and then they spend the whole time talking about their ailments. Either their ailments or their children. Yeah. Sangha, old Sangha members get together. If they haven't practiced well, they don't have kids to talk about. So they talk about, oh, my knees hurt, my back hurts, everything hurts. Boring, but that's what people do. Okay, so there's uh, no way to avoid it. Well, most of us intellectually know that we will die. Our inner feeling is that death will not come to others, to us. Others die, but not me. Do you have that feeling inside? Yeah, that it's not me. I mean, intellectually we know, yes. But in the feeling inside, do we really feel like one day we're not going to be here? And even more astounding, 
that everything is going to go on without us. Isn't that shocking? Yeah? Your family will live without you. Your friends will live without you. Yeah? The whole empire of your ego that you've built evaporates and everybody who was in it just goes on with their own life. Shocking, isn't it? We thought that they would all freak out and they would all fall over and that there's no way they can possibly exist if I die. Especially if you have kids, especially if you have parents, especially if you... Or you're a big wig in a company. Yeah? Whatever status we have, this, these people, it can't continue without me. Yeah? If I die, who's going to wash the lunch dishes at the light, at the alley? Yeah? They need me. I'm essential the abbey will crumble without me driving the tractor or without me, you know, planting the garden or without me proofreading something. Somehow, I, you know, they they just won't make it. So that's why I'm not going to die because I have to be there to take care of all of them. Because they all rely on me. Yeah? And have you ever thought, you know, like with the, with the virus, one person dies and we go, what a loss. You know, we read about their individual life and like, that's so sad this person died. But 100,000 people die? And that's just a statistic. We don't feel like there, there's a hundred thousand individuals who die. There's just a statistic. Yeah. And one day we will be part of that statistic. It may not be the coronavirus statistic. It may be the cancer or the kidney disease or the drunk driving. Not that we're drunk, but somebody else is. You know, we're going to be counted in some statistic, our name forgotten. Okay. So we think others will die, but not me. How wrong that is. Shantideva cautions us. So... We just started Shanti Deva's text. Wait till we get to chapter two. He really lays it on about death there. So here's one verse. Remaining neither day nor night, this life is always slipping by and never lengthening. Why will death not come to one like me? Okay, so that whole feeling we have that it won't come to me, why shouldn't it? Mm -hmm. 
Given that there's no way to die to avoid death, wouldn't it be beneficial to prepare for death so that we will not be caught unawares when it happens? The best way to prepare for death is to practice the Dharma, to transform our mind by pacifying afflictions and cultivating good qualities. Doing this, we will be more peaceful at the time of death and our future rebirth will be better. So the conclusion to reach from this meditation on the first point is since death is definite and practicing the Dharma will benefit us in this life and at the time of death and in future lives, we resolve to definitely transform our mind through putting the Buddha's teaching into practice. Okay, so death is definite. Our conclusion is I've got to practice the Dharma because that's what's valuable. Okay, so that that gets us going. Yeah, I've got to practice. But it hasn't solved the problem of manyama. Okay, so the second point addresses the problem of I'll do it later. Okay, so the, the second point is the time of death is uncertain. So although we feel we will not die anytime soon, in fact, we do not know when death will come. Although we plan for our old age, we may not live that long. There is no guarantee that we will be alive even tomorrow. Okay, so we do go through a lot of plans for our old age, don't we? Yeah, you have to have a 401k, you have to have a SEP account, an IRA, a pension, at least a saving something, yeah, for our old age. But what's really remarkable is a lot of people in the U.S., have been middle class their whole life, but they don't have any savings. Yeah, I think a lot of this has come about because of credit cards. Yeah, you just buy it with, a, you know, whatever you want. You just go out and get, put it on a credit card, you pay it later. Yeah, and as a result, people don't save money for... Um, for old age. Mm -hmm. So quite, diff quite difficult for people. You know, it, because of the mind of attachment, the mind of greed, isn't it? It's the mind of greed. It's, I want this, and I want this, and I want this. But even we save for our, our old age. We may not make it. Yeah. We may not live that long. It's very interesting. Go to a cemetery, uh, you know, at Deer Park Buddhist Center in Madison. I used to take a walk when I was there in the summer. Oops. And uh, there's a cemetery nearby. And I would often walk in the cemetery and look at the names of the people and the, the dates, you know, that they lived. When I was in uh, Russia, the place where we went to have retreats, uh, you know, when I'd go outside the gate and walk along the river for a way, there was an old cemetery. Looking there at the dates, 
Uh-huh. And a lot of people who died, they're younger than me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so quite interesting to, you know, on the papers sometimes look at the obit uh, section and you know, what age people were when they died. So uh, we may plan for old age, but we don't know if we'll, if we'll get there. Yeah. Okay, so the three points <laughs> under the time of death is uncertain. The lifespan of human beings in our world is indefinite, and people die at all ages. Yeah, so you walk through the cemetery, you really see that. When I first uh, started practicing Buddhism and I heard this, uh, I, would, I started to make a, a list of people I knew who had died, just to remind me that death is definite, the time of death is indefinite. And they were all people who were older than me, you know, my grandfather and my grandmother and so on. And as time went by, I, I stopped making the list because it would become very, very long. Because as you age, you know more and more people who have died. And uh, you also begin to know people who died when they were much younger than you. And you hear about people that you went to grammar school with or high school with. Yeah, you haven't thought about them in years. And then somehow you meet some old friend and you found, you know, you find out that people you went to school with when you were eight years old, you know, are, uh, no longer exist. They're gone. Okay. We never thought about that when we were eight years old. Yeah. We never anticipated that. We always thought, you know, we'll all grow old together. Okay, so people die at all ages. We may believe that death will come only after we have accomplished certain career goals or after we've enjoyed watching our children grow up or after we've traveled to faraway places. But in fact, we don't know when we will die. So that's the one thing I hear so often from uh, parents and grandparents is they want to see their children grow up. Yeah, they want to see their kid get married or graduate or get their job, whatever it is. No. And yet, they don't know if they'll live to see it, and they don't know if the kids will live to see it. I know in my family, whenever there was some family event, yeah, my, uh, my aunt and my mom would always, you know, get together and tear up and say, oh, we wish our mother were here to enjoy it. Yeah, but she died way back. Okay. And we really don't know when we're going to die. I can tell you some stories. Yeah. I think I told you the story about my friend who whose wife was a belly dancer and was practicing her belly dancing and the record just kept going and he went to see what happened and she was dead. Then, okay, my cousin 
my cousin who's a year younger than me um, was getting married. Yeah, he's a doctor, had his whole future in front, the whole thing. So he's getting married. And the morning of the wedding, um, his mother, my aunt, is found dead in the bathtub. Yeah, she went to take a bath. The morning of the wedding, gone. I don't know what she died of. It must have been something like heart attack or a stroke or something. They went ahead with the wedding. Yeah, some people canceled. They went ahead with the wedding. They didn't have music. But I remember being at the wedding and my uncle, yeah, who's my cousin's uncle too, was talking to my cousin about the will and the property. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, supposed to be a happy day and then your mother dies. And it was supposed to be a happy day for her. Didn't happen. Okay. So, you know, there's many, many stories like this. Okay. Yeah, so we always think we'll we'll uh die after we've accomplished certain career goals. So after I get this position, after I make so much money, after I get this award to prove that I'm worthwhile. Yeah, death will always come later. Or it'll come after uh, I go to His Holiness Dalai Lama's teachings. I've always wanted to go, but I've never made it there. But I won't die until after I do that. Okay, or I won't die in, until I, uh, you know, go on a Caribbean cruise or visit Antarctica or whatever it is. Yeah, but in fact, we don't know when we will die. Whenever it is, we will surely be in the middle of doing something that will be left unfinished. So it's not like we get everything done and our whole life is organized, we've done everything we've wanted to do, and then we say, okay, now I'm ready to die, and then death comes. No, we're always in the middle of doing something. Always, okay? My dad, yeah, it's coming up next month. Um, his birthday is June 25th. So June 24th, which was also my nephew's birthday, they were having a party to celebrate my dad's 93rd birthday and my nephew's, I don't know how old he was, you know, maybe he was... Oh, he was young then. Yeah. So he was, I don't know, maybe 11, 12, 13, something like that. 
and uh, no, maybe 13, 14. Anyway, so the, 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 my sister and her kids and her boyfriend, uh, uh, you know, and I think some of his kids, and you know, they were making my dad a special meal. My dad likes steak. So they were barbecuing a steak. Yeah? And they're sitting down to eat. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, my dad starts turning blue and falls off the chair. He um, had cut up his steak, and he choked on a piece of steak. It got lodged in his throat. The kids are there. Yeah, my niece and nephew are there. Um, her, my brother-in-law's, you know, kids were there. And Dad just died like that. They had no. They they were so taken by surprise because they were in the middle of having dinner. So there he was in the middle of eating. You know, you're always in the middle of of doing something when you die. So he's in the middle of eating his birthday dinner, and he died. Like that. They called me. I was doing the prep for a colonoscopy that evening. <laughs> yeah. And I had always, you know... When your parents get older, you always wonder, when is the phone call going to come? Yeah? And I remember the phone ringing. It was probably about 9.30 or something. And I thought, hmm, I wonder, you know, because I would always think, oh, I wonder if this is the phone call. Well, that one was. And, you know, my brother was on the phone, and he said, you know, Dad just died. And I started to say, but I just talked to him yesterday. And then I realized how stupid it was to say that. Because uh, the day before, uh, all of us, you remember, we had a, um, a Skype call with my dad, and we were singing, the, we were chanting the uh, 37 practices as a birthday present to him and wished him happy birthday. And then, you know, and he was supposed to still live for a while. Well, that didn't happen. So, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't know. We don't know at all. Okay. So, whenever it is, we will surely be in the middle of doing something that will be left unfinished. His steak dinner was unfinished. Everybody's dinner was unfinished. Everybody was in shock. Some people die on the way to work, others while eating, some simply between one breath and the next. So many circumstances lead to death and fewer lead to survival. So we always feel like the conditions for life are very good, but if you really look at it, as it says here, great effort is required to stay alive. It takes a lot of energy to stay alive. If we didn't do anything, we would die. Okay? But we have to put out so much effort. 
We have to feed our body, yeah, which means you have to go to work or you have to grow food and you have to, uh, you know, prepare the food. And even just to go to work, then you have to have the right clothes and the right car and the right CV and, you know, all these other things in your life. Um, you know, we do it all just basically to stay alive. We have to protect our body from heat, cold, disease, and injury. Uh, so it takes a lot of energy f- to do that. It takes a lot of planning and effort to keep this body alive. Whereas if we did nothing, our body would simply die of dehydration or starvation. Yeah. So just think about, you know, how much time and energy we have to spend to keep this body alive. And then on top of that, to make it comfortable and give it pleasure. You know, we really are slaves to to our bodies. Mm-hmm. Then the third point is even things meant to protect life, such as medicine, food, shelter, and transportation, can inadvertently cause death. Okay, so people are living in a building. There's an earthquake. The building is crumbles on them, okay? We have transportation so we can go traveling and do all sorts of exciting things. And, you know, there's a train wreck or a car accident or an airplane crash or whatever. Okay. Um, who, even walking, we can die. It was your um, sister-in-law, wasn't it, who was walking the dog? Your sister-in-law's sister was walking the dog and got hit by a truck. And the dog lived. You know? Not even in a, in a vehicle, vehicular accident, but just, you know, traveling on foot. Um, okay, so lots of things can cause death. Microscopic viruses and bacteria may cause death. That's really quite apparent now. Small pieces of metal can kill us. Our physiological systems are delicate and easily become unbalanced, leading to illness and death. Yeah? And people take... uh, Think of those people who who took that... uh, that fish tank cleaning stuff because it had what this the name chloro something something yeah in it and they thought it would protect them from the coronavirus it's just they probably just took a little bit and they died from it so very small things can can kill us you know people who are allergic to bee stings one little bee sting you know and there they go um, yeah, so 
it's, it's quite interesting how in the, in the military, you know, all the guys that want to be big if you're big and you have muscles and big shoulders, and, you know, I'm a Marine or, you know, whatever it is, okay? And some little thump, thump, small, small thing. And that big, powerful body is gone. It's not so big and powerful. You know, a virus, a bacteria, a mosquito. Huh? And then the whole life is gone. Uh, Our physiological systems are delicate and easily become unbalanced, leading to illness and death. While medical science has made tremendous advancements, it has not been able to stop death. And sometimes the treatment we take for illness has side effects that hasten death. That's true, isn't it? People take a medicine to cure one thing and it throws their body off balance and they die of of something else. Okay? So although this body seems, you know, so alive and so strong, you know, small invisible things can kill it. And, you know, there we go. Okay. So it is to our advantage to prepare ourselves for death whenever it will come. The way to do this is by developing a stable spiritual practice now so that we will accumulate as much virtue and dharma understanding as possible while alive. This also makes it more likely that we will have a virtuous mental state should death come suddenly. So Aryasura warns us, between the two, tomorrow and the next life, which will come first is uncertain. Yeah, we have lots of plans for tomorrow, but maybe the next life comes before tomorrow. Time of death is uncertain. Therefore, do not make effort in the means for tomorrow. It is right to make effort for the welfare of the next life. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, mm, you know, sometimes we think, oh, well, Dharma practitioners don't die. I have one friend, you know, when when uh, I told her we had a medical account at the Abbey, she was shocked. Yeah. But monastics, they have so much good karma, they shouldn't get sick. Yeah. And when uh, Genlob Sangyatsa, the principal of, of the dialectic school in uh, McLeod Ganj, when he was murdered, my friend said, how could he be murdered? He was a monk. He shouldn't, his karma shouldn't have been like that. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. And in his case, oh my goodness, everybody was shocked. 
It was, um, the school was in recess, but he was uh, in a building that I've walked by zillions of times. I've walked by that building. And he was teaching uh, two students. And somebody uh, came in. They think it, it was a planned murder. Somebody came in and, uh, and murdered him and the two students with a knife. Yeah, left the corpses there, took a taxi down uh, the hill. And then later, another monk uh, found them. He was coming in to bring tea so that they could drink tea and instead found their dead bodies there. Every, it was maybe a week or two before the spring teachings when His Holiness was, was teaching. Everybody was shaken, you know? It's like this was not supposed to happen. Huh? And it wasn't supposed to happen that way, and it wasn't supposed to happen at that time, and it wasn't ha- supposed to happen to those people. But, yeah, this is is samsara, and we can't choose everything. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the conclusion. Seeing that the time of death is uncertain, let's start transforming our minds today. Since death may come at any time, we cannot afford to postpone our dharma practice until conditions are more suitable. The only time we will ever have for practice is now. Uh, Sergei Rinpoche, my root teacher, Sergei Rinpoche, was uh, up in the Spiti area. Oh, this was 82, 1982, 83. And uh, he was teaching up there. I saw a picture of him. He was old, you know, uh, riding on a yak. It's spitty in Lahul. It's it's the high desert, you know, and very poor area, uh, undeveloped area in northern India. And he... um, It was the the year that was one of His Holiness the Dalai Lama's... uh, uh, hindrance year, you know, in the Tibetan um, astrology, which His Holiness doesn't take a lot of, doesn't matter a lot to His Holiness. He doesn't abide by that a lot. Anyway, it was one his hindrance year. And uh, apparently Yasser Arafat was flying into Geneva at that time. It was, you know, before uh, the peace agreement and so there was a lot going on in the world, and it was dangerous, and they didn't know what was going to happen with Arafat flying into Geneva. Um, anyway, so Rinpoche was teaching, and he uh, was staying at the home of one disciple, and he had dinner, and then he went into his room, and he told his attendant, Nawang, um, that he, he was felt tired and he didn't feel so well, so he was going to go to bed early. And that was it. That was it. 
they found him, his, his hands were crossed like this. Yeah? But people say that uh, uh, he tried to take on the negative karma that would have uh, harmed his holiness's life. That's what people said. But, no, you know, he was fine. He was fine. He just died. Yeah? Song Rinpoche, same way. It was Labak uh, Dukchen, yeah? In usually around November, the day when the, the Buddha uh, comes back after teaching his mother the, the Dharma in the God realm. And, uh, and Song Rinpoche just, you know, said to his attendant, you know, I'm just going to sit here and do some practice. And he sat there and did his practice. The attendant came in later, and he was gone. Yeah? Nobody had planned for these deaths, you know? Nobody knew what was going to happen. Yeah. I think maybe the two Rinpoche's knew. But the rest of us? Uh-uh. No, no idea. Okay, so uh, you probably have different stories of people you know who die unexpectedly. Anybody want to relate a story? Yeah. I come home from Australia to visit my family, and the night I arrived, my dad was complaining of stomach pain, and my dad rarely complained about any kind of discomfort. So we took him to the hospital, and he was admitted, and he had a unusual kind of hernia. So they did surgery the next morning, and um, he had been in the hospital for maybe four or five days, and he was getting better. And so we thought he was going to go home the next day or two. And um, one morning we went to visit, and he was short of breath. And so uh, the nurse came in, and she was futzing around trying to figure out what was going on. And then um, she asked us to leave the room. And then we kept hearing them call for different people to come into the room. Mm. And pretty soon there was a code that was called. And I thought, that's my dad. So I walked down there. And sure enough, they were starting to do, you know, all the heroic measures on him. Yeah. And called my brother very quickly who worked nearby. And he came over and he quickly assessed the situation. He said, my dad wouldn't want that. Stop. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so we were in a Catholic hospital. And so I just went to the head of the bed and started reciting Hail Marys and Our Fathers, and the whole staff that was in the room joined in. It was very beautiful. <laughs> wow. So hopefully it was a good send-off. Uh, we thought he was going home the next day. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. My, it's my, this is my uh, teaching story for myself. My grandpa um, was a plumbing contractor and was out on a job, it was his biggest job he'd ever had, and he had a big crew, it was a big apartment building or something, and my grandmother made huge lunches for him and the crew every day. If they were close enough, they would come home, but if not, she made a lunch that would, so my image is of him biting into a big roast beef sandwich, and um, he had a can of Coke, and he popped back his can of Coke, and in the Coke was a yellow jacket that stung him all... Inside many, the bottle of Coke? Inside the Coke can, just under the Coke lid, oh. where a yellow jacket would hang out. So he got the Coke in his throat and was dead within minutes oh my from goodness. just eating grandma's lunch. Very sad. Mm. 
He was probably in his early 50s. He swallowed the yellow jacket? Yeah, he swallowed the yellow jacket. Oh, goodness. So how much he was allergic to it, too, I don't know. But, you know, if you're stung in your windpipe, it's kind of uh, yeah. bad news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so some little tiny bug, huh? It's not a... It's not about a family member, but it was from about one of our guests a number of years ago, the young man, the young uh, Korean-American young man, Unje. Who, Unje? Yes. Did. Oh, my goodness. He came yes. here to explore Buddhism. He had yes. gone to, I think, Gonzaga. Um, and then he spent a few days with us, just a lovely young man. And maybe mm -hmm. it was about one or two years later, a year later. We got yeah. a call from one of his friends that he had taken upon himself to do a cross-country bicycle trip to raise money for Catholic charities. That'd be, you know, pledges per mile. Mm -hmm. And him and his friend were booking up some someplace in Colorado. And a young woman who, I don't know the story was either she was slightly intoxicated or under some med medical whatever, he, they, were, they had just stopped to catch a breath because of a pretty good headwind and... She did something, but she ran into him and uh, drove over him, and they airlifted yeah. him out, but he, he didn't make it. Yeah. He was like 20, 24 years old, yeah. 26 years old, a lovely young man. And then yeah. his family came uh, after that and yeah. came and spent time with us and were just devastated. Yeah. They never family. forgot. Yeah. Yeah, he was quite nice. And boom. Yeah. So Sin Online says that, my mom had no health problems other than a little high blood pressure. She went out in her yard one morning, waved to her neighbor, and fell over. She died instantly. One of my best friends in high school, she had twin younger sisters. One of them, one of them had epilepsy, and they were transitioning her onto a new drug. And um, the morning, they, you know, she went to bed fine, woke up in the morning, gone, because of the new drug hadn't been able to control the epilepsy uh -huh. or she had a reaction to it so the mom went in in the morning and found her child yeah uh. i think she was 14 or 15 mm. so we all have stories don't we yeah so this isn't uh it isn't something rare for people to die before the end of you know what uh, before their their body was fully exhausted put it that way yeah but death comes and there you are okay one of my dharma friends was you know this whole thing about practice now and and be prepared you know, because we don't know when death will come. He was telling me the story. Uh, he lived in Lower Dharamsala, and uh, he was walking through the bazaar on, on the way home one day, um, walking past the, the uh, fruit stall, and he slipped on a banana peel, just like in the cartoons. And, uh, and he told me that his first thought was, oh, yeah, and then when he stood up, he thought, what if I had died at that moment? And that was my thought. Yeah, and that was pretty scary. Yeah, thinking of 
having that as your last thought. Okay, then um, the third point, only Dharma helps at the time of death. So at the time of death, our wealth, fame, friends, relatives, social status, awards, trophies, certificates, yeah, and even our body cannot help us. Okay. None of them can come with us into our future lives. They are all left behind as we separate from everything that is familiar. Okay. So think of how you get on a plane to go somewhere and you know you're getting on a plane and you know where you're going, but how still unsettling it is to be traveling and then to get off the plane in a different country. Yeah, it's like, where am I? What's going on? What are they, language are they speaking? What am I supposed to do? So you think just even in this life, how easily uh, disconcerted we become or disoriented we become going into new situations. And Death is like, whoa, you know, that's really going to be the new situation. Okay? So, none of those things can come with us. They all stay here. However, the karmic seeds of destructive actions that we've done to procure and protect our wealth, dear ones, and body, Follow the mind stream as it goes on to the next life. So all those things that we were attached to or had aversion for stay here, but all of the the seeds of all of the karma we created to get them or protect them or to avoid them or to get even with them, all of the seeds of those karmas come with us into the next life. Okay? So, yeah, so, you know, what are we spending our life doing if all of that stuff stays here and we take the karmic seeds with us? When I lived in Dharamsala, there was one lady who sometimes cooked lunch for us. And she told us, because her family were refugees from uh, Tibet, they fled in 59 or 60 after the communist Chinese takeover. And she told us that one day her father was, when her father was dying, he kept trying to tell her he had taken some gold out of Tibet when they left because... You know, they didn't use very money very much there. So when they fled, he took what was valuable. And he buried it somewhere because they came into India as refugees. You couldn't carry that around. They were working on the roads probably. And so you couldn't leave it somewhere. So he buried it. And when he was dying, he was trying to tell his daughter where the gold was buried. And I felt so sad when I heard that. 
you know, because this was for him like the purpose of his life and the great gift that he was going to give to his child. Yeah, and I don't know if he even got done with the explanation before he passed away. But, you know, there you go. Okay, only the positive mental qualities we have built up during our lives and the karmic seeds of constructive actions are able to ease our mind at the time of death and ensure fortunate future lives. So to understand this, there's three points. So first, with in terms of money and possessions, yeah, they are of no help at the time of death. We may work very hard while alive to amass money and material goods, but all of them may remain behind. We may have created great destructive karma to procure and protect our money and possessions, but our wealth in this life is useless in the next. We can't take it with us. You look at the, you know, the uh, tombs of the pharaohs and how they put all this stuff in the tombs so that they could take it with them to their next life. Or the, the custom of ancestor worship in China where you burn paper money and paper computers and paper Mercedes Benzes so that your relatives will have them, you know, in their next life. But, yeah, it, it doesn't work like that. And, and all the stuff we amass in this life stays here. Okay. So we go on to the next life with only the karmic seeds and the habitual tendencies we have built up while alive. Then, when we're gone, our friends and relatives go through all of our stuff. Yeah? So whatever you've saved in your files, you know, your high school love letters, your, uh, you know, people, people are very interesting. They often have a whole other side of them that they don't let anybody else know, you know? Maybe, you know, they have guns, but the rest of the family doesn't know. Or maybe they've been doing some dirty business deal, but the rest of the family doesn't know. Or whatever. Yeah. And then when they die, people go through all their stuff and read it and look at what they were involved in in their life. Okay. Now, how would you feel? This would be a good exercise. If we all went into each other's bedrooms tomorrow and started rummaging through our, our friend's stuff to find out what everybody really has hidden there in their drawers. Yeah? Would you be embarrassed for other people to see what you have in your files, in your drawers, you know, think about it. I remember reading an article one time 
somebody uh, telling people about preparing for death and say, you know, just be aware that your children are going to go through and find all your sex toys after you've died. (laughs) You know? And it's quite interesting. Have you ever gone through somebody's stuff? Yeah, after they're dead, it's quite interesting what you find. Hmm? Okay, so someday people are going to go through all of our stuff. Okay, everything that we've hang on to, you know, all of our underwear, all of our, uh, you know, shoes. You know with me how I never throw things out. I wear them until they're really destroyed and have lots of holes in them. So you're going to find all of that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Interesting. So we accumulate lots of stuff, but we can't take it with us. And especially family heirlooms, and money, what happens after you die? The family fights over them. You know, if you haven't written very clearly in your will who gets what, they're going to quarrel. You know, who gets the blue ice cream goblets? Yeah. Who gets the silverware that was mom and dad's wedding present? Who gets this and that, okay? Even you write it all out, yeah? Depending on who the executor of the will is, there still could be a lot of hassles, yeah? Let me give you one tip. Do not have one child be the executor of your will determining what your other children get. That is not smart. Have somebody who is not one of your child's children, you know, do that. But, you know, you work very hard to collect something and, you know, want to give it to your kids, and then who knows what's going to go on. Yeah? Um, One nun, I know she was very much counting on uh, on her inheritance. She had lived in, in India and Nepal a long time. She was counting on it to continue to stay there. Her dad had remarried and left everything to his new wife. Another Dharma friend of mine, the same thing happened to him with his dad who had remarried, left everything to the new life the new wife. Um, yeah, what what can you do? And you're gone, and then they're all fighting over your stuff. Which is really sad, isn't it? Uh-huh. And who gets mom's wedding ring, and who gets the, you know, old wedding pictures, and who gets this and that? Yeah. 
it's quite exhausting. And really going through everything, oh my goodness, especially if they have a lot of clothes. Yeah, have to go through all the clothes. And you also have to see what kind of parent you had, you know, or what kind of person it was. Um, because lots of times you have to check all the pockets because they would leave money in their clothes, you know. They just would, you know, put money in their pants and leave the pants in the closet. And so you have to go through and check all the pockets. Then you have to go through all the papers and where bank accounts and life insurance policies and this and that and the other thing. Yeah. I had some friends and uh, somebody who lived down the street from them who was a very solitary woman, but they, they were friends with her. When uh, she died, she had appointed them to be the executors of her wills. And they were telling me, you know, they went through, she saved old receipts from food, um, you know, from the grocery store and receipts from this and that. And I heard about one monk who died and uh, at Deer Park, actually. And, um, you know, he died in his bedroom, I guess, overnight or whatever. And they had to clean the room out, all sorts of dirty tissue everywhere. You know, his room was filthy. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, quite interesting. Yeah, sometimes you find the letters, uh, you know, old letters that you've written to them or that they've written to you or you know, diaries when they talk about, you know, how they're feeling about this and that, and you read it, and it's like, oh, boy. Yeah. So, you know, someday somebody's going to do that with us, too. Okay. Um, then, second, second point. Friends and relatives cannot prevent our death, no matter how much they love and respect us. We may have been constant companions for decades, but separation is guaranteed because everything that comes together must separate. Separation at the time of death can be excruciating when we are very attached to others. And I hear that a lot with the, the people who are dying from coronavirus, uh, who are hospitalized because they're in individual rooms, they can't have visitors when they're ill, and, uh, you know, when they die, they also can't have visitors. I mean, it's just too dangerous for the family uh, to go in. And so this seems to be something that's really um, very anguish-filled for the family. I think the people who are on vents they're medicated, they're in a coma, they don't know that they're dying alone. Yeah, but for the family not to be there, yeah, is, is really, really difficult. Okay, and so separating from all the people that, you know, you're very attached to, who know you really well, who you've shared so many experiences with, 
yeah, then you have to separate, yeah. And then third, not even our body is of benefit. We have spent so much of our lives taking care of this body, but at the time of death, it abandons us, becoming a corpse that remains here while the mind stream goes on alone to future lives. All the pleasures this body enjoyed are last night's dream, you know, but the karma we created to secure them goes with us. Okay, so this body that we have pampered and treasured and worried about and been obsessed with deserts us. Yeah. It just dies and our mind stream goes on alone. But all the karma that we've created trying to please this body, make it comfortable, make it attractive. Yeah. All the people we've gotten mad at, all the karma we've created out of anger because, you know, somebody's done something that, uh, you know, has harmed our body in one way or another. Uh, they haven't made the food we like, whatever it is. You know, all that karma comes with us, but the body um, stays here. <clears throat> and then, you know, they may burn it, or, uh, you know, they may embalm it. I think I told you about my friend's mom who died of leukemia, and uh, I went to the funeral, and people were saying, she hasn't looked so good in a long time. Yeah. Because the embalmer did a really good job, apparently. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's still quite a bit remaining in this section. We haven't come to the conclusion of this point. Okay. The con I'll give you a heads up for the conclusion, but then we'll read the rest uh, in the next session. The conclusion is, you know, if our money and, and wealth, our friends and relatives, our body don't come with us, but all the karma we've created in relationship to with them uh, does come with us, then uh, we should not only practice the Dharma, we should not only practice the Dharma now, but we should practice it purely without uh, being involved in the eight worldly concerns. Because the eight worldly concerns are what help us or what make us uh, create all that karma that comes with us. Yeah. So when you look at the eight worldly concerns, you know, the first pair, money and possessions, they abandon us, but the karma comes with us. The second pair has to do with reputation. Yeah, that stays here. The karma we created goes with us. Third one, yeah, uh, praise, approval. Again, can't take it with us. But the karma comes with us. And then fourth, all the sense objects we've encountered. 
and what we've done to have pleasant sense objects and be free of unpleasant ones. All that is gone, but the karma comes with us and influences what we become in future lives. Okay, so this this nine-point death meditation is is quite profound. And if we really uh, do it well and do it regularly, it will have a strong effect on our mind and help us get very clear about what is important in our life and what isn't. Yeah, and so if you're familiar with this meditation, then when you start to get angry at somebody, you remember that you're going to die and you're going to leave all this stuff behind and then you don't bother getting angry. Yeah, or you're something is there and you're so attached and there's it can it promises so much pleasure of this life in front of you and you're so tempted to run after it but then you remember that you're going to die and that thing is a person is not going to come with you but the karma you create will come with and you say forget it yeah it's not worth it Okay, so it's a very powerful meditation for keeping us on track with uh, our spiritual uh, aims. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a f- few minutes for questions. So one young man from Singapore is saying, Venerable, as a young person who will turn 21 next month, I would like to seek your advice whether we should know how much time we have left or how we will die. And I asked him, how would you know that? And he said, he heard through meditation, you could figure it out. And then I said, how would that benefit you? And he said, he's very anxious about dying. Uh-huh. Should he try to find out? Uh, I haven't heard that, that you can find out when you're gonna die or how you're gonna die through meditation. I haven't heard that. And uh, how, his Holiness Dalai Lama also says, you know, because some people go to fortune tellers and everything. And he says, you don't know the future until it has happened. Yeah. So it really isn't, I wouldn't put much energy into that. I would put more energy into developing loving kindness and compassion and wisdom and keeping good ethical conduct. Because if you, if you do your dharma practice and you create merit and you learn the dharma, then death is not fearful for you. And you don't have to worry about when you die and what the circumstances are. Because you'll have practiced and you'll be ready to die. And, and you'll, you'll know that you can have a peaceful death. So rather than be anxious about death or... You know, this kind of thing, focus on your practice because that's what will really help you to be calm and peaceful at death time. And then someone else is asking, isn't the moment of death pretty important in throwing karma? So what should be the last moment, like in an accident? Take refuge mantra or what? Yeah, anything you can do. Yeah, it depends on your level of practice. Yeah, 
If you can remember your deity, remember your teacher, you do that. Otherwise, you take refuge, generate bodhicitta, contemplate emptiness. Yeah. I mean, there's a million things you can do, but whether we can do them or not depends on the strength of our Dharma practice while we're alive. Okay? So, um, yeah. But uh, since Venerable Jampa was has been talking about the the five um, the five the five forces, there's another way to speak of them: the five forces at death. And uh, there, it recommends um, generating bodhicitta and just saying, you know, may I have a a good life where I can meet you know, reliable, perfectly reliable and qualified spiritual mentors, learn the bodhicitta so that I'm never separated from both conventional bodhicitta and ultimate bodhicitta, which is the wisdom realizing emptiness. And and you pray like that, make that aspiration and try and make that uh, that arise in your mind. And then you let go. Yeah, you just let go. Lama, Lama Yeshe used to tell us that uh, we should try and die the way a, a bird on a ship in the middle of the ocean takes off. Yeah? We have this ship, middle of the ocean, and the bird just flies. It just goes. It doesn't, you know sit there and go, should I fly? Should I not fly? What am I going to think about? And then when it takes back, look back. Are they all watching me fly? Are they all sad that I'm going? What's happening? You know? No, the bird just flies. And I very much like that image, you know? When we die, just... We dedicate the merit from this life. We make an aspiration for future life. We trust... In the Buddha Dharma Sangha, we trust in our karma, and we go. Yeah. So uh, we need to be able to practice well to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. One of the common things that I've heard over the course of my life is when somebody very dear dies, and I had the same experience, is that you feel at the time of their death so committed. It, like people say, it really puts my life in prior. I have to prioritize my life. It impacts us so deeply yeah. that we look at our life again and we reevaluate things. But then as time goes on, to be able to keep that kind of urgency and to keep that kind of focus. You know, I've been thinking about, you know, Jane died, you know, a year and a half, not quite two years ago. And that was a commitment I made. And just to hold the memory of that. Mm. To use her death as a gift so that I don't get complacent and that I don't, you know, I get lazy. But I've heard that so much over my life when somebody died that that was, the life became real, more urgent, more alive, yeah. more meaningful. And then life, time goes on and it just yeah. all sort of falls away. Yeah. The ignorance. ignorance, you know, ignorance. the amnesia of the yeah. ignorance. Mm-hmm. I know I've shared this with the group, but I'm not sure I shared it with you. One of the last things 
maybe the last thing that Annie Marg said before she died mm. was too much procrastination. Mm. It's very powerful. And she had a very good death. Did you hear any kind of explanations from your teachers about Sirkam Rinpoche's death and Song Rinpoche about how these high masters might intervene on His Holiness's part? But uh, no, nobody explains, nobody explains how that, that works. No. Okay. It's just, you know, there's different beliefs in the Tibetan community, but nobody explains how they work or if they even work. They're just they're just things that people believe. 